Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. Uh, I was sitting in my desk a while ago trying to write up my little thing that we always put in the Peanut Farmer magazine. And, you know, we, we've been talking about this thing and with coming into this year about tomato spider wilt. We've been doing that from day one. I, and, and we have to, right? Because of the season we had last year, we have to talk about what is going to be risk this year. I covered that last time in the peanut farm market. I mean, in the peanut grower magazine. And, and we've been talking a little bit, but I want to talk on the other end of that and trying to, uh, what are we looking at as far as, one, our acres, we think our acres are probably going to increase five, maybe 10%. And if we do that, it's going to force people to want to plant early. And and I say that with a grain of salt. You know, we can plant early. Mm-hmm. We don't have to plant a large percentage of our crop early. That's the thing that growers need to be aware of is I know they want to plant early and get it in the ground and be done. But we don't want to plant everything in April. Yeah. And we don't have to do that. And we're going to, if we increase to 710, 720, um, 100,000 acres or whatever, 710, 720,000 acres, we do have to plant in April. I mean, we're going to plant some, but just watch planting the whole thing. If you were at our meetings, you realize real quick that it's, you know, how we're planting is different than what it was 10 years ago because we did, um, you know, our low risk window for tomato spider wheel is May 10th to May 26th. And based on the survey we did of 350 something fields this past year, 50 plus, if not 60% of the fields were planted before May 10th. 30% were planted before May, May 1st. And so in thinking with that, if we keep that same trend, you are going to put yourself in a high-risk area. Mm-hmm. So things that, that I, I'm going to go ahead. I was going to say in that scenario, if, if especially it seems like this year we're having the warmer weather, if that trend continues, that right. would probably push right. that maybe even earlier. Would that be a scenario where you would just want to flat out say, hey, what what is our best variety tolerance to tomato spot of wilt, which is likely 12Y? 12Y is the best one. Would, would that be a scenario then where you would say, hey, if you're going to plant that early, you probably need to plant some 12Ys? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting at with what I'm writing now for the peanut grower thing, just a reminder, is if you know you're going to plant early, that's fine. But you gotta you gotta hedge your bed a little bit. And twelve wise one of them. Okay, I want to be a twin row grower. That's the other one. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I'm planting a good quality um, seed. And I will say, so far, based on all the germ reports I've gotten back, germ and cold germ of 12Y have looked pretty good. I know good. that was a concern that you had coming off of last year's harvest because some of the grades were lower. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, so, but right now, so, the, the preliminary report is that this, the quality of the seed is, is good. So far on 12Y, mm-hmm. I got my first indication yesterday that we still have good germs on our early 06s being shelled, and and people have not shelled those yet, a lot of them. But the ones that have been shelled for seed 06s, 
the germ looks good, but the cold germ has fall, fallen off. And that is what I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned that we will have a just horrific germ year. That's not the case. I think we're going to be in the mid to upper 80s and 90s with our germ, and that's wonderful. But the thing that concerns me, and the, and the more I talk with people, the more it does seem that that cold germ has fallen off. And what does that mean? And and let me be real frank and say, not everybody does cold germ, nor are they required to do cold germ. But in this situation, I'm hopeful that at least on the first part of the crop, we are doing that a little bit more just to kind of help out and, and let us know if it's bad or not or lower than normal. I wouldn't say but bad's a wrong word to use. It is just lower than normal. And where does that put me? Well, that puts me in a situation for early planting that I don't want to be in. Um, if it's May and temperatures are warm, I don't seem to have an issue with that. Now, like you said, if temperatures are warm in April, if we're well above 65 to 68 degrees soil temps and we've got moisture and we don't have any cold snaps coming, truck it, go, go. I mean, we can go with that, but we still got to protect against the virus. The, the problem is though, is if we plant and we turn off cooler temperatures and we're wet, and you put a low vigor seed in there, it is going to drag coming up. Look, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, we had a UPW training earlier this week for the dicamba training, and I saw a couple of farmers there, and I was talking to one of them from, I won't mention his name, but from Irwin County. He's a corn and peanut grower, and it's, he mentioned, he said, I can take cold weather, I can take wet weather, but I can't take cold and wet weather. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that is that is our April, mm-hmm. from some time or another. And, and I will say we've got people that can plant early and it doesn't seem to bother them and the difference is they're watching the with the weather so if they get a full you know if if it's warm up until the time they plant and then it's going to be warm a week and a half afterwards and then we take a cold snap they've got those plants up and it doesn't hurt them mm-hmm. But it's all about getting that plant out of the way. It's hard the, to turn that drive to get planted off, don't is, you think? Especially is. when the weather is, is good and, and like we've been having now, because this happened in corn, right? We, we've probably planted a lot of corn a little bit earlier than we have in the past. But that drive, when you've got the good weather, to take advantage of that weather that's favorable for planting, uh, maybe earlier than normal. Um, it's hard to turn that yeah. off because you know you don't know, right? It could be That's right. when I really wanted to plant my ideal planting. If I wait, what if it rains the whole month of May? You know, and you could have mm-hmm. planted in April, and you're like, "Darn, I should have planted back." Then. Of course, you don't know until that happens. That's right. <laughs> but that could happen, right? So that's yeah. that's what's on everybody's mind. I said, "Well, if I got the good weather, I might as well go," uh, and because I don't know what's going to be three weeks down the line. You know, and and one thing a girl asked me the other day is, you know, okay, we talk about all this risk and this, that, and the other. Which one is is more risky for a grower? Is it planting early when we got wet and maybe a little bit cool versus having to try to plant when there's no moisture? And I, I would say if it's a dry land grower, and, and we got growers that they do all their own things, they do, do things differently, and that's fine. Uh, you got to pick the way you do your operation. But if it was me, if I had moisture the latter end of April and 
and we were warm, I'd be planting dry land peanuts. And in hope that we catch those rains to activate, you know, and that's I reckon that's the biggest thing on your end, right? Is right. activation, but that's the biggest thing all the time. Yeah, right? well, activation not only for herbicides to work, but also to get a good stand. Yes, so, yeah, um, that's important. You know, we have to have that water, that moisture there at that time to to do two of those things in a dry land field. Of course, if you got a pivot, that makes a whole lot of make, make worries go easy. away. Yeah, it <laughs> makes it easy, but. It's, but we got to do. We got to watch it, and that, and that is my point this year with this seed. I'm not trying to say you need to go into your buying point and just, you know, request the best seed they can because they're going to give you what they can, and it's going to be the best that they have in a way. And so, it's not going to be in a situation where they're going to be hoarding back the best seed. They never do that. At least I've never heard of them. Do with that, that, so. that cold spell we had a while back, and where we had temperatures that were abnormally lower than normal for a longer period of time. Is there any uh, information that suggests that that may help us for tomato spotted wilt or not at all? I don't think we know. In talking with, you know, Kim Wright and other ones, yes, it helps. But if we warm right back up, did it kill off all the all the plants that had tomato spotted wilt? Or is... You know, is the virus in plants that's hardy? Right. Who knows? But we do know if if we don't have a cold snap now and it's cold enough to do something, then pretty much your thrips population are probably going to be up like they normally are. Now, will they be as heavy as they were last year? Who knows yet? But I would think in our situation, if we start to warm up and winter weeds die off, guess what? We're gonna we're gonna see a big flush, and that's normal. It's, it's been funny. I had a, as we were traveling around doing our winter meetings, I had more than one grower tell me that that cold weather actually killed wild radish plants, where they were seeing wow. dead wild radish because it hadn't gotten so cold. That's nice. So yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, didn't kill all of it, obviously, because if you drive around South Georgia, you still see uh, fields of yellow uh, plenty. Yeah. So, but. so what are, is there any indication from your sources that we have any issues with herbicides as far as your your pre-plants? Your, I mean, anything that we need to be well, talking about? Well, one thing that we do need to, to put on everybody's radar, not that it's a problem yet, but it has been discovered, is that um, Dr. Culpepper and one of his students have found a location in Georgia that's resistant to the PPO herbicides from both pre and post applications. So when we're talking about peanuts, obviously that's valor. So um, so I don't people need to be aware of it because we use so much valor. We use valor in pre-planting cotton. 70 to 75 percent of our peanuts get treated with valor. Uh, we've got some growers that have been using a little bit in corn pre-plant. Of course, a lot of growers use it in soybeans as well. So there's a lot of valor use out there. But the problem that was found was sort of in an isolated area. It was, again, sort of a self... If, if you get resistance problems because you did it to yourself, uh, you overuse the mode of action. So in this particular scenario, the grower used soil applied and post-emergence PPOs for several years, and that's what caused the problem. So that's not typical of most of Georgia, especially in our peanut cotton rotation. So we don't think it's going to, it's at the level of say glyphosate resistance around the state. There's no nowhere near that level, but it was identified. So we know it can happen. So it's important that growers know that it happened and then understand that 
when you're building a weed control program, knowing what those modes of action are so we're not overusing that class, the PPO group chemistries, which would include Valor, Reflex, Cobra, Blazer, AIM, Gold. There's a lot of materials that we use. And so making sure that we try not to overuse those. And then obviously when we can rotate and we're not using that chemistry, uh, that'll be extremely helpful to delay the evolution of resistance. Most people don't realize this, but in every field that we go in, there's already resistant weeds in that field for everything. But they're at such a such a low level that they don't they're not a problem. But as we select for them over time and they become the dominant population. So it's really in the growers' hands to determine whether they're gonna develop a significant resistance problem or not if they continue to use the same modes of action then any weeds that produce seed uh, or dump back in the field. Um, so that's what we talk about hand weeding so, all the time as well, because if we can get those, let's say you did, let's just take a, a scenario and we're talking about peanuts where I used Valor Prey and I came back and used Cobra Post. Those are two PPO herbicides. So if any pigweed especially would have escaped that, that's that's the those are the ones you want to go in and pull out, hand remove before they produce seed because it's possible that those could have been the, that could have been the very few plants in that whole population that were resistant. And that's where Georgia has an edge on most people, right? We do pull right. weeds. Most other states that I've been in have not. Well, we that. we have several advantages in Georgia. You know, your old state that you came from, Arkansas, they've had a lot of problems with resistance for various reasons. One of the reasons is they don't do tillage. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we will still plow for peanuts in a lot of cases. And so that has really helped us a lot with resistance. We have growers that are willing to hand weed, which is extremely helpful. And then we also, in our peanut crop, we use gramoxin. And so that gives us an opportunity to diversify the mode of action portfolio. So we don't have, I don't think we have the level of resistance problems that they do in, say, uh, Arkansas and Tennessee and Mississippi, where they can't do these rotations or are unwilling to till yeah. at some point. So is break now labeled yep. and how much is it being incorporated? Okay. So break, uh, we've talked about break at our county meetings, uh, weed meetings. And so we did get a full label for peanut use in the end of January. Uh, so that will be available to growers to try if they want to always with a new product. Uh, we're going to tell you to don't, spray the whole farm with it in one year I think every grower as you know uh, we all know things seem to work differently for different people so try it on a limited basis uh, to see if it's going to work for you I've seen a few growers they're going to try some of our cotton guys have already been using break so they're a little familiar with it mm -hmm. so they feel comfortable with it so uh, I think we'll see some use it'll be interesting to see how much use that we get and of course if anybody uses it always would love to come out and look and see maybe we can see some this summer, Scott, if we continue our informal <laughs> moving around, moving around through counties that we've visiting. been doing over the last few years. So that will give us another mode of action to use in our peanut program, which is great. Um, but we're not we're not going to stop using Valor just because breaks around now. We, we, even though we do have re resistance, it's only on a small level. So we still need Valor for Florida beggar wheat. So that's something that I'm concerned about, that if we decide to go pull the Valor out, 
and then we use brake exclusively. Not that we would, but if that happened, it's possible because it's not as good on Florida beggar weed as, as Valerie. Right, so right. I think in fields that we know we have Florida beggar weed, we need to keep the Valor in there at some rate if you think you want to try brake. Because the one thing we don't want to do is use brake at this point, have beggar weed come in and then go, hey, I want to use classic. Right, right, because then we got to deal with all the issues of classic. You know, uh, that's pretty much our only, no, it's not our only option, but uh, we can mow and uh, we can wick if we wanted to. Right, those aren't, right, aren't right. farmer friendly. Uh, so We just don't want the buyers. Right. I mean, that's and the biggest so, thing that we uh, don't We would have do. to use classic, and, and generally our data on the newer varieties has been pretty good. Uh, we have have had been pretty positive, uh, with the exception of 12Y. We picked up a little hit on 12Y this year that we need to investigate a little further. But, um, yeah, you know, nobody ever really wanted to spray classic. It was a necessity back then when we didn't right. have other options. And then it's becoming, there's more interest in the use of classic now because of some, uh, maybe we've seen some more beggar wheat that appear later in the season over the last few years. And based on your data so far, it's an earlier application is less of, Correct. of, of a problem. Correct. Right. Right. And that would be, you know, generally we can't apply it in peanuts until around 65 days after planting. So that would be probably the ideal time to to. to spray for beggar weed if the beggar weed was above the peanut canopy at that time okay. so if okay. it's buried within the peanut canopy then you're wasting your time right so. right well that is a that's one of those and I mean and all of these things had to all I mean all these problems have to fall in place for the control and management to work right yep I say the problems, the solutions have to follow or the applications have to everything you do I think we have to. we have a great progress program or system with the use of tillage if we can or cover crops, twin rows, residuals at planting, timely post-emergence materials. We've we've got the ability, we've got the tools to keep weeds out of peanuts, but we're often hindered by the timeliness of those applications for various reasons, whether it's weather or equipment breakdowns or something else comes along that prevents somebody from getting back in the field. And also logistics. You know, I was talking to a grower the other day and showing them some of our programs. And for example, I think uh, a lot of our growers think of when they think of say cadre and DB and say dual going out, the old approach was, well, I need to put that out at 40 or 45 days to get the most of it. And I'm like, well, I'd rather see you go earlier. So you, you're spraying smaller right, weeds. Right. But a lot of our farm, we may have every intention to be out there on the best day, but because of the weather or equipment breakdowns, or the size of the operation, the farmer can't just physically can't get there. It, you know, just cannot be. Yeah, we're spraying thirty. Be, Some of them are spraying. Just can't be there in the best time. Yeah. Uh, so that that's probably our biggest challenge. I, and I don't know how you overcome that. Right? Sprayers aren't cheap. You can't have five sprayers running. Right? So, no. And 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 by all means, I don't think you know. I hope growers don't take it wrong. We say, hey, and we keep pounding that we need to do this, need to do this, we need to do this in order to manage all this we do understand right as a group we understand but it's the it's it's more of an idea to keep it on the forefront of you thinking about it and doing the best you can to get there but we all understand everybody is stretched thin and you know we we can do do the science to show that these things work and that's what we all do this is based on the data that we collect and then that has to be implemented at the farm level and 
in some way, shape, or fashion to the best of their ability. Yeah, yeah. And it may not always be what, what Scott or Eric wants, uh, but but try your best to do those things that we know that work uh, for whatever pest we're talking about. Right. And so I would go back and, again, reiterate some of the concerns that I have for early planting and just to get you to think about it. You know, if you're if you're going in and deep tilling and, and really working that ground and warming it up and we get into where we have good temperatures, uh, what we consider good temperature, 65 degrees or better in April and you want to plant, go ahead. Um, I would I would definitely go after some dry land that has moisture if you've got it because again you don't know when it's gonna when you're gonna get that next rain shower um, and try to try to take the risk on that versus you, you know you got an insurance policy on irrigation uh, the big thing though is is if if you can or, or they give information out about the cold germ and, and this lot that you've got is a little bit lower than normal just don't jump use those in, in April um, let's try to let's try to move that back I would rather you move back two weeks and be a little bit later into May finishing up than planting in April with subpar uh, vigor and be cool and wet and have an issue where they don't come up we get virus and we don't get a good stand and that causes you lose a lot more yield than that that you know and and I'm gonna throw one out there for camp hand hey plant some cotton in April plant some cotton in April and then come back to peanut I know everybody wants to do peanuts first but in this situation with the virus the way it is I would heat rather to plant a big chunk of cotton and then start first of May with our peanuts um, you know if that if that helps our system get into a lower risk area yeah. um, you know and and try to make sure that we do everything like I said have moisture have the temperature you know make sure that you've you've done your due diligence on the soil samples I know most people do uh, pH and all that getting everything you can getting it situated um, and you know with stuff going in fur like I said we got better fungicides that we are that we've got on our seed now Rancona or Trebuchet so I think we're good there um, but if you wanted to put another fungicide in fur that's fine your insecticide we would love for you to be using Thymet but again you can plant without Thymet just do everything else that you can I mean it's but I would rather you have Thymet in there it does so much for us um you know inoculants definitely on my end i think it's one of the best insurance policies out there as far as being cheap and giving something back to you uh but you have to weigh you have to weigh the option of how much you're going to put in in on top of that inoculant and i know there are all these biologicals going in fur and that is and you know that's a choice of yours we have not shown at this point any biological that has enhanced emergence or stands or early season growth uh, at this point. So take it the way you want. I'm not saying don't try it. Try it if you want to. But if it's doubling your cost of that seed treatment or that inoculant, then you've got to wait an option if it's worth it or not. So um, just keep that in mind. And like I said, as we go forward, do the do the best job you can about about um, doing everything as right as you can, 
and then call us if you need us. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Um, would encourage growers. We're putting out burn downs now, pre-plant burn downs for strip till. So most folks are going to spray Roundup in 2,4-D or Gramoxone in 2,4-D perhaps. And so I would encourage you if you're a 10 day, at least 10 days out or, or longer to consider putting a couple ounces of Valor in with your pre-plant burn down to protect you from having a population of pigweed emerge between when you spray your burn down and when you actually get in the field. And then you can use an additional two ounces at plant. At plant, okay. And still protect yourself. So what is, um, I know we have in our trials here on the station, Spiderwort is becoming more and more of a problem all over the state. I hear more and more people talk about it. That's dual or warrant or something that they need to add in, what, pre-plant? Couple, couple, couple of things about spiderwort quickly. Scott, good point. Spiderwort was our number one enemy before Palmer Amaranth. And we were spending a lot of time working on spiderwort. We didn't even know what it was. Yeah. We, were, we were calling it something else in a different species. And so we've did, done a lot of a lot of research over the years. So peanuts, the things that we can do on peanuts. Number one, it is a it is a plant that responds to to plowing. So inverting the soil at a normal inversion depth and burying that seed, you'll get a significant amount of control from spiderwort. Of course, you know, some people will do tillage. Some people won't. They're they're against it for other reasons. But tillage helps. Twin rows help. There's about a 10% increase in spiderwort control when we compare a twin to a single. And then using what we call, weed scientists call the group 15 herbicides, that's the mode of action uh, that, that they all have. Things like Warrant, Dual, Outlook, Zidua, Anthem Flex would be all in those um, products that we could use in peanuts. Of course, we can't use Zidua or Anthem Flex at planting. Zidua and Anthem Flex need to go out over the top. The other thing about the spiderwort we need to remember is that, and it might change slightly for this year based on the, what's going on with the weather, but most of the spiderwort that comes up is after June 1st. About 60% of the population emerges after June 1st. So you still have 40% of the population that, that comes up prior to that. So if we're planting real early, let's say for whatever reason in southwest corner, somebody's going to plant on April 1, you may not get the benefit of putting a, a residual herbicide in that planting there because you're going to miss that emergence. But if you're planting later in May, it's probably a good idea to put something like Door, Warren, or Outlook out at planting to, uh, to help you keep that coming up. And then we're going to put more of those materials out in our post-emergence materials, whether we're spraying Gramoxone or Catra or whatever. We're going to keep putting those group 15s into right. the system to keep the spiderwort from emerging. Okay. okay. Other way to help control it would be in field corn. Many of our growers are, are corn, our peanut growers are corn growers. After you get your corn off in the July or August or whenever it is, that's a good time to, if there's spiderwort in the area and it's probably in the field, that's a good time to take care of spiderwort to keep it from producing additional seed that will come back and get you the next the year next when you year, rotate yeah. in the peanuts. And so we can use tillage there, uh, we can mow, or we can use herbicides after corn. Uh, herbicides that work pretty good on spiderwort after corn are either Gramoxone or Paraguat, 2,4-D or AIM. Uh, but typically at that time of the year, you'll have to make two applications because that spiderwort will be large, uh, larger than 
than one application can Because it's already up before right. they harvest That's the right. Corn. It comes up later in the corn, and so it's there. If you okay. have spider wart bad, it'll, it won't be there real early, but it'll be there late. It's a late, as I mentioned, it's a later emerger, and so it'll be there. It doesn't really hurt your yield, your corn yield at all, but it's producing seed that yeah. will hurt your peanuts yeah. and cotton or beans or whatever So when you go in there and harvest your corn, you really need to mow the stalks down before you spray them? No, you don't have to. Uh, I was talking more about using mowing as a method of controlling the spider wart. So you can mow it. If you get there before it produces seed, then you can mow it. By the way, it goes from seed to seed in about 40 days. So it takes a very short time period to start producing seed. If we had so much residue on the ground, you would get good coverage. I think think, uh, the main thing I was thinking of there was you could use mowing as a strategy okay. for the spider like okay. mow it and let it regrow and mow it of course you'd have to keep doing yeah. that same yeah. with tillage you'd have to do more than one you'd probably right. have to till every 30 right. days to really keep it from producing seed because it produces seed in you know, 40 days and I forgot about this but I had another phone call the other day you know we are talking about planting early and how well it would be to plant 12Y but then we got now 12Y has made a resurgence Right, right word. Resurgence, re-emergence or uh, re reemergence, re, re, uh, re whatever you want to call it. See, I get caught up on messing up the right word. But nevertheless, uh, I do that all the time. I, I say one thing and mean another. But but nevertheless, it's it's grown in popularity. And then now we've got it again. Several people want to try to not, you know, encourage people not to plant it. And. Uh, that's kind of a bad thing and a good thing. I understand the, the companies got to make money, the shellers, um, but I just feel for the growers that are getting um, pushed not to grow it because some of these guys have, have done very well with it early. Uh, it, it does fill a void that we cannot fill yet with another variety. But with that saying, with saying that, We've got several coming that look okay, that we might, that have better resistance, that we might could fill that void. But it's... What about we still the shellers? We the shellers, they don't, they don't really like 12 by. Uh, yeah, we shell them out. Right. When they shell them out, they say they're not quite making as much money. And part of that is because it is a very uniform, small seed. And so they don't make jumbos. Uh, that's part of the problem. Uh, and I understand that. I mean, they got to make money, so that's not a problem. But I, I think from the grower side, um, you know, that we're trying to fill a situation uh, that they've got or, or fix a situation or help with a situation that they've got with production. And so that's why we're trying. And, and I understand that. Um, they've got to do what they got to do. Um, but just know we hope. We hope at least people are paying attention to the varieties that they are planting in, in April. Um, and we've got a couple coming down the pipeline that look a little bit better on virus, and hopefully we can utilize those. But we're, we're still a year or two out yeah. on some of those, so we just got to watch it. Have, have you heard anything about contracts at all at this point? Uh, contracts at this point, not really. Um, you know, uh, that's the thing. It's a twofold problem. Uh, if you want to call it a problem, it's not really a problem. Uh, why we hadn't got any contracts? One, people waiting to see what cotton's going to do. You know, corn's going up a little bit. It looks like um, if cotton stays below eighty cent or eighty five or whatever, people are likely to trim back a little bit. 
and trimming back a little bit there means 200,000 acres sometimes. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be, but um, it may only be 100,000. Well, corn's going to pick up some of that. And we dropped 70,000 acres last year. And so we were at 678, which is a good amount of acres for us in a rotational scheme. Um, but I think I think we're going to go back up. And if we only go up by 5%, I think the potential for good contracts like we had this year, I think it'll be fine. I think if we go to 750, 780, 800, it's going to put us back in a situation probably, and this is all speculation, but probably back to where we were at where we had $400, 425 contracts. Because I, I guess I had talked to a few growers. They were getting over $600 last year in yeah, some yeah, cases. Yeah. Not everybody, but... Uh, yeah, some of them are. Some, some of them were. And so we hope, we hope they do that. You know, we hope this year turns around and we have good yields all the way around. Um, you, you know, but we'll just have to wait and see. It's a waiting game right now. I don't think contracts are going to come out until after we start planting. Uh, or at least the initial. Now, they're going to probably bring some out because of banks are going to require some and that kind of thing. But I think each individual place is probably going to be different. Uh, but we know, you know, for the most part, we're going we're gonna to plant peanuts. I'll probably plant that five between 5 and 10% more. So I just don't think, I hope it doesn't go any more than that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. It's just... It just spooks me that we're going to go back up and it's going to force us to plan again in a risky situation. Um, and last year didn't catch us off guard, but did surprise us on how bad it was. But like I mentioned before, that was because we kind of did that to ourselves. You know, we planted half the acre before May 10th. We're using a lot of omitted clover in Vida in April. And so we're kind of just doing it to ourselves. So we kind of got lulled. We had a few years there where the pressure from spotted wilt was low, yeah, lower. Yeah, yeah. And then we figured out, well, it wasn't that bad last year. And so maybe they could do some things that uh, they weren't, they, you know, they didn't really like doing, like yeah. climbing in furrow or something. <laughs> and I would, uh, but it came back to, to haunt everybody. I would say, too, if Mark Abney was here, he would also point you to the fact that tomato spotted wood was bad, but lesser corn straw boards were they were on the road to do some damage if it would if we didn't start raining. And he would be absolutely right. <laughs> you know, those fifty percent of the acres of dry land plus irrigated, we were on a rocky road there yeah. and it could have been devastating from just that. So I'll give a I'll give a shout out to Mark on that one. <laughs> um, that's that's one that we've got to keep our eyes on too. So um isn't amazing? It always amazes me how a farmer can even sleep at night with all these things you've got to worry about. You've got we've got a good plan. Yeah, we've got a pretty good plan for producing crops. Yeah. But there's always things that come up, and it always amazes me when I talk to growers and they have such a positive attitude in most cases and how they can go through their lives and not lose sleep over. I mean, I'm sure they do, but uh, how do you not stay I, stay up all night just worrying about, oh, how bad spotted will going to be? We're going to have lesser corn stock. Yeah. Or is it, you know, we're going to get too much rain. 
um, there's something else going to come up that we don't even know about. You know, we worry a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I worry a lot yeah. for the girls uh, of the state, but it's nothing like they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be nothing like they do. And so I commend every single one out there that are trying to do this every day. Well, um, that, that same former I was talking about earlier from Irwin County, and we were talking, I said, did you start to plant corn yet? He said, nope, I was all ready to go on Monday. We got out to the field, and then we had all these breakdowns. And he said, I said, did you get anything done? He said, nope, I got 1,700 acres to plant, and I don't know when that's going to happen. And then now it's supposed to rain over the weekend or today, right? Today's Friday, right? It's supposed yeah. to rain later tonight or maybe even rain now and then Sunday. So what are you going to do? You just got to, he just said, you just got to do what you can do, and that's all you can do. Well, i tell you, the, the good thing I saw on the news tonight, though, was hard this morning was the fact that instead of freezing temperatures, it was more like 35. That's good. On, what was it, next Wednesday or Thursday or somewhere somewhere like that. So that, for the corn growers, that could be a big deal. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and and also, but it was just one day, and then we went back to normal temperatures. So it's going to be interesting. Now, whether I will find kind of a final topic, and I... (laughs) To to Brandon, I know we've been going for a while, but we're sitting here with the with Macy, um, and Macy is my master student. And you know what? She's fixing to graduate. Oh, <laughs> she needs a job. Oh, my <laughs> she is a very capable ag- agronomist coming out of our group. She she's very down to earth. Um, hey, I, I I'll do everything I can to make sure that we hear about an opening, potentially a job opening, because we want to place her and keep her in agriculture. She's done a great job for us, and we have put her through everything that we do. Um, you know, and tried to put her in situations that she can see or or feel or be a part of the group and and kind of see what the growers are dealing with. Um, so, yeah, by all means, if anybody out there has anything that they know of coming down the line in Georgia, we'd love to at least put her in front of somebody to let them see if, if she would fit the mold because I think I think everybody would be pleasantly pleased um, with what she could do for somebody. So, in agriculture, I'd love to keep her there. That's where I want to keep her. So Yeah, I'd love to stay in ag. <laughs> So just a shout out. Nope. I got to promote yeah. my, my people as much as I can. Yeah, take a plug when you can get one. Yeah, Take a free so. plug when you get it. <laughs> and she's quick. I mean, you know, I throwed something at her that we just heard, you know, this whole infer fertilizer thing. Just by happen chance, we found it, that it was a problem. And then she took and run with it. We didn't have to do much else. And so, you know, and then help the growers. And that's yeah, that's the, the main thing, thing that I was so proud about is we're helping the growers understand some situations that could hurt them. And um, again, this is not anything against any of the companies. It's just the fact that this one way that we use these products is not what we need to do for peanut. Um, and so over the top, once we get them up, sure, why not? You know, everything might can help, but this definitely does not. So... Um, but now I just wanted to end there because, again, she's the one that come up with this. You know, we don't hit everybody at the county meetings. We probably hit, uh, we were figuring the other day, if, if you take a UPW training where everybody has to go, uh, you're, you're required to go, there's probably about 3,500 people. And so if you look at our county meetings, we probably Maybe hit about 1,500. We, we probably hit about half of the people that go yeah. uh, of the farming community. So if, if we can reach other people this way in addition to 
farm visits and through their local county agents because you know, we don't reach everybody at a county meeting. So, and again, I'm, I'm the world's worst to keep, keep, keep talking, but there is one other thing uh, Eric mentioned on about this a while ago. As you know, we are we are fully committed to the growers, and we're fully committed to get our agents trained as much as possible and get them through and learn as much as we can. And we do have a tremendous amount of young agents. And me and, a, me and Eric, sometimes as some of the other ones, uh, whether it's Mark or Bob or whoever, we try to get out and ride through their counties and meet them and go see some of the growers in that county. And so I would put it out there that if, one, I hope you are working with your agents, even if they're young. I mean, just like we are committed to you, I hope you're committed to us. Um, And and please try to get those guys and ladies out to your fields and, and try to show them things about your farm because they're learning from you just like their whole job is getting information that we have to from us to them to you. I would love for you to train them, you know, as much as you can from from your perspective and from the fact that me and Eric, I know, would love to come and visit you on a farm just to talk. Mm-hmm. Not, see some not good for news. a problem. <laughs> yes, doesn't have to be. Of course, we'll come there when there's a problem, for right. sure. But to come and just randomly walk fields in the absence of problems is sometimes even more valuable than being there for a problem because we're we're looking at things and seeing things that as we that things are particular for a farm that might be applicable across other farms that they aren't doing right so and i will tell you i mean i'm learning stuff from eric every day um and if i'm not learning then i'm not doing my job either so mm-hmm. um we don't even come close to knowing everything um and so we do learn from the growers we do learn from each other um and so please feel free i would say that feel free to get a hold of your agents and just say hey why don't you invite eric and scott and mark or bob out to the farm and let's have a shade tree meeting or just you know if we want to just go to lunch one time and just sit around and talk um that's how we can keep on top of problems uh, and acknowledge successes. That's the other thing. Uh, the other thing is I'm putting out, and I'm going to shut up after this, I promise. I'll be quiet uh, and be done. You're getting close to lunch now. Yes. Wrap it up. Yes. My <laughs> but no, um, we are putting out for uh, applications for the Peanut Achievement Club uh, for the state of Georgia through the agents. So if one of them comes to you, hey, feel feel obligated to want to be a part of that. It's not just to recognize high yields. And you may say, I didn't make high yields last year, but it's not about that. Um, yes, we want to recognize that. But the biggest thing that we get out of it that I think you will too is the fact that we go to and visit as a, a, a smaller group and get to discuss things and feel that we can discuss them openly um, and try to get out things. I think we have gotten several research projects out of the, out of the Peanut Achievement Club talking with the better growers of the state. Um, and I'm not talking about you have to yield 7,000 pounds. Um, if you are one of the leading guys in your county or just 
one of the guys that just want to put in an application, hey, put it in. I mean, because again, I'm I'm trying just to get people that want to discuss peanut production, mm-hmm. um, pluses and minuses, and try to make this thing better. So. Um, make the productivity of state better so please if you hear the agents or if you want yourself to go and say hey i'd like to put in an application for the peanut achievement club this year do that we're we're going to send them out now and hopefully have them back by april 15th or so so uh be on the lookout or at least you know if somebody says something know that that it's out there and we you know that that is out there for you all right that's all i have all right, all right. thank, thank you, you. Macy. i appreciate have a good it day. Day.